Good morning, and welcome to New York Sports and Beyond on 98.7 ESPN, where our goal every Sunday is to entertain, enlighten, and expose you to information that can lead to positive change in your life. I'm Larry Hardesty. This morning, we're catching up with an old guest. He is Udit Dave. He is the author of Hidden Heroes, The Role of Physicians in Sports. He joined us in 2019. He is now in the second year of med school at Tulane University School of Medicine. And we want to update and find out how, now that he's in med school, how does that relate and compare to what he wrote and did his research on in the book. So if you're preparing to have a nice Sunday breakfast or chilling on a Sunday morning or preparing for virtual sunrise service, we thank you for joining us on this edition of New York Sports and Beyond, which we will begin after this timeout. Welcome back to New York Sports and Beyond here on 98.7 ESPN. I'm Larry Hardesty. Well, Udit Dave is a young man who wrote a book entitled Hidden Heroes, The Role of Physicians in Sports Out of Pain. He'll explain that to you in a couple of minutes. He has now, two years later, is a second-year medical student at Tulane University School of Medicine. And during this process, he's learned and refined some things about sports and medicine and the relationship between the athlete and the physician and the type of rehab athletes need to come back from injury. So join me in welcoming, again, Udit Dave to New York Sports and Beyond. Hey, Udit, how are you? I'm great. Thank you for having me on again. Well, it's good to have you back. So listen, let's kind of bring everybody up to date. Let's talk about your book, uh, the name of your book, how well it did the first time. And uh, why you wrote it? Sure. Yeah. So the name of my book is Hidden Heroes: The Role of Physicians in Sports, um, and it came out um, a little over two years ago now. Um, and yeah, I, honestly, I just wrote it because I was going through a tough period of my life. Um, I was studying abroad in Australia when my grandfather passed away, and I was sort of looking for something to sort of dive into fully and commit myself to. Uh, to distract myself, and this felt like the most productive way to do that. And I've always been really interested in sport, and obviously I'm really interested in medicine, so it sort of felt like the perfect uh, combination between those two. Now, how long, um, did, and then, how long did it take you to write the book? Honestly, so a majority of the book, I'd say the first like two-thirds of it, I wrote in two weeks. Wow. And then the last third of it took a lot longer. The last third was like maybe six or seven months. Um, and it's just like fixing up all the small stuff from the previous chapters as well. So it's a pretty lengthy process. But when I was really, really um, starting it, it really just took two weeks to just crank out chapters and chapters. Now, explain for the audience who didn't hear the first time the relationship between you and your grandfather that led you so strongly to write this book. So you kind of are as a tribute to him in a sense because you were trying to, mm-hmm. you know, deal with grieving over, over the loss of him. Right, yeah, so my grandfather was a physician, um, and sort of I always grew up hearing stories about patients he treated or, you know, cases he's able to solve, things like that. Um, so he's always sort of my inspiration to go into medicine in the first place. Um, and our favorite thing to do together was to watch sports, so we always watched the Knicks games together and the Yankees games together especially. So um, when when he passed, I was already sort of away from sports for a while because I was in Australia, so I was trying to branch out in that sense. Um, so this is sort of a way for me to recapture that relationship that I had with him um, and also, you know, uh, reconnect with sports in that way. So this is sort of um, the way I was able to do that. Now, let's talk a little bit about medicine and sports as it goes to your book, because if I remember correctly, Hidden Heroes, the role of physicians in sports is really in three sections, right? Mm-hmm. That's true. All right, so, so, so let's go through the, the first- sections. Yeah, so 
the first section is mainly uh, basketball players. So I looked at Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, Paul George, Kobe Bryant, Sean Livingston, LeBron James. Um, and then the second section is mainly football players. So, And also there's a baseball player in there as well. So I looked at Adrian Peterson and Peyton Manning mainly. And then Drew Brees, which is probably my one of my favorite chapters in the book. And then I looked at Giancarlo Stanton as well. And then the third section is more local athletes. So um, one of my connections and now friend, um, Ivan Chatro is in there. He talked about his mental health um, outcomes as a result of being injured. And then um, my best friend from college, uh, Drew, I wrote a chapter about him because he had a bunch of recurrent concussions. Um, and then the last chapter, last few chapters are sort of local doctors and them talking about working in sports and how it feels to do that. So it's I sort of went from basketball to mainly football to then local stories. Udid, uh, what has struck you probably even more so since you've written the book as we have more and more athletes come out and talk about not the physical nature but the pressures mentally that they go through in their, especially professional sports but even as we noted uh, recently with Simone Baez, uh, about mm-hmm. you know the situation over in the Olympics. So what what are, what are you noticing about that? What what intrigues you as a physician about these situations and the and the honesty and the comfort, surprisingly, that athletes have in sharing that? Mm-hmm. I feel like so when I first started writing this book and I would hear about the mental side of the sports, I think that was something that always really intrigued me, um, but. I always wondered when athletes would start speaking out about that kind of thing more. Um, I think one uh, instance that sort of jumps out in my mind immediately now, right now is um, the finals with uh, the Miami Heat and mm-hmm. the Dallas Mavericks and how LeBron sort of melted down in that. And he gets a lot of heat for that to this day with regards to his legacy and whatnot. But when you hear him talk about his mental struggles during that, um, you know, I feel like that sort of gets swept under under the rug. So to now hear other athletes of like a similar uh, stature, like Naomi Osaka and Simone Biles, talk about their mental health struggles, I think is very important to bring that to the forefront because um, not everyone's going to be a superstar athlete where they have that sort of platform. So for them to have that sort of struggle and to bring that to the forefront, I think is very important. And I feel like also um, as a medical student, I feel like um, a lot of the sort of mental burden of disease and mental mental burden of uh, dealing with injuries and things like that, I think, is sort of included as a footnote or as an afterthought, you know, even in, in lectures or um, even in talking about any sort of illness. So I think it's very important to um, see that as almost equally important as the physical aspect of it. Udid, what the, let's talk about the role of COVID-19 and how that mm-hmm. plays mentally and physically. Let's talk about the mental aspect because, you know, piggybacking on the subject we were just on, you look at Paul George who talked adamantly about the struggles he had in the bubble, okay, and how loneliness mm-hmm. and confinement and all these things where athletes really aren't used to that. And who did we think of our athletes as being strong mentally? Uh, so should we just look at them differently because of these situations and actually realize they're human beings like us? <laughs> I mean, yeah, absolutely. I think I think mental toughness is definitely a part of the sport. You know, for example, any like any sport, especially basketball, I feel like when it comes to taking that last shot, I think you know to a certain extent, like all these people that are in the NBA, they're um, they're all great shooters, right? But um, it depends on who you want taking that last shot, and I think that's a part of mental strength. I think that 
mental strength and fortitude is a part of all of these sports that sort of um, underlooked. And I think it's like a thing that athletes should work on as much as their physical strength and um, their physical skills as they pertain to sports. So I think it is important to view them just as regular people because, you know, everyone has a job or they have school or something like that. I mean, all that is stressful and um, something that dictates how successful you are, in my opinion, is how uh, mentally strong you are. I think that's the thing that everyone has to work on. So I think it's no different for an athlete. I think an athlete has to work on that as well. Udit Dave is my guest. He's the author of Hidden Heroes, The Role of Physicians in Sports. He's a returning guest. He joined us a couple of years ago, and now he's a second-year medical student. You're listening to New York Sports and Beyond here on 98.7 ESPN. I'm Larry Hardesty. When New York Sports and Beyond returns, what's the relationship with pro athletes and the COVID-19 vaccines? Udit Dave explains on 98.7 ESPN. Thanks for stopping by New York Sports and Beyond here on 98.7 ESPN. I'm Larry Hardesty. Let's continue my conversation with author and med student Udit Dave. Udit, let's talk about medical student now, and we'll go back to the book in a second, but let's talk about second-year medical mm-hmm. student and COVID-19. A lot of athletes are battling whether they should take the vaccines. Uh, how, what is the conversation like in med school at this point right now when we talk about vaccines and the pros and cons of them? Um, I think that Myself and all, basically every medical student I've spoken to, everyone around me, um, when we found out that we were going to get vaccinated or we had the option to get vaccinated through the school, we all really just jumped at it. I remember seeing that email and signing up for the first available time slot and the first available date. Um, I think that there's so much misinformation being spread about the vaccine. um, And I really think that it's really important that everyone gets vaccinated as soon as possible, obviously. Um, I think that the... Peers I'm around, I think there's not really much of a conversation because everyone's on the same page. But I think that, you know, for example, the best example I can give is uh, when I go to get my hair cut at the barbershop, um, you know, just talking to people about the vaccine and what they think about it. Um, I've actually been able to convince a few people to get vaccinated, so that's felt really nice. I think that um, when you're like, when you yell at someone to do something, they're going to be less likely to listen to you. So I think that in terms of the pandemic and the vaccine, I think. Um, it's very important that everyone gets vaccinated. I feel that um, we're sort of shifting in a direction where it's getting more and more likely that people will get vaccinated. So that's very important. But in terms of sports, I think that, you know, at least personally, uh, basketball is my favorite sport. And that's like the one thing that I sort of am able to carve a lot of time out for as a medical student. So uh, COVID made that a lot harder because initially the gyms were closed. Um, actually, now the, the gym that we all play basketball at has closed down again. So um, I think it makes it harder to get that sort of social connection for sure, especially through sports. Udid, the challenge for the professional athlete who is very mindful of what they put in their bodies, uh, as you know, as a physician, mm-hmm. uh, they talk a lot about that. And obviously with all the brands of steroids and things like that that have happened, the professional athlete is very concerned. Uh, what right. is Take us through that battle in, in your research and in some conversations with athletes of putting something foreign in their body, trusting it, and then this vaccine that they're not really sure what's in it? Mm-hmm. I think that, well, I think I think our country has a very long history of exploitation of, um, of people in a medical setting. So I think it's very fair that a lot of people don't feel like they trust what's in the vaccine or, um, or what's in the vaccine or being hesitant to take it. Um, but I think that, the best way to, I think a lot of these companies that are putting these vaccines out are extremely transparent. 
about what's going in them. And I think that um, that's the biggest thing. So a lot of these vaccines just have just have water and the RNA uh, protein, and that's really it. It's like there's not really any really foreign substances in there. Um, but I think it's a, the biggest issue is getting people to believe that that's the case. And uh, I think athletes should look at, um, just try to gather as many of the facts as they can and have really candid conversations with people around them because a lot of athletes are getting vaccinated. I think most, most athletes actually are getting vaccinated. So I think it's also up to them to talk to their peers because if I'm an athlete, I'm more likely to listen to someone that's also an athlete than someone else, you know? So I think that's part of that job is also on the athlete to convince people to get vaccinated. Well, then what, what's med school like? Uh, med school, honestly, is the most fun I've had in my entire life so far. Um, and everyone always reacts like it's really strange when I say that, but I really believe that because I think for the first time I'm really studying something that I really care about and I'm, it's really going to be applied, you know. I think throughout high school and college you sort of take classes that you have to take. Um, and that's, I think holistic learning is important and all of that, but for the first time it feels like I get to really just cherish everything I, I'm studying and everything I'm studying is going to affect someone else's life in one way or another down the line. So I feel like there's an added responsibility to study and to work hard. Um, also, I think that just the, the sheer volume of what I have to study, I think that um, you get really good at managing your time. So I kind of try to treat it like a nine-to-five job. So I'll wake up early, you know, get all my studying done, and then try to finish by five or six so I can chill for the rest of the day or, you know, explore New Orleans or something like that. So uh, it's been a really great positive experience overall so far. What have you learned so far as to compared to what you thought was uh, important in a physician's relationship with athletes when you did the book? So I thought the biggest thing in, in terms of when I was doing research for the book was um, I thought that physicians need to have like a really, really you know, intimate understanding of the biology of the human body and um, you know, the skeleton, things like that. Um, how to perform procedures. Um, but I think that what I'm learning more and more now is that, especially through clinical research and things like that, um, I think that a lot of what treatments physicians or physicians give to athletes is based on their own experiences. I think there's a lot of research that needs to be done in terms of what actually brings about the best outcomes. And that's something I didn't really fully appreciate when I was writing the book just as a college student. Um, I think that I'm realizing how dynamic orthopedic surgery is especially and how dynamic medicine is and, you know, sort of how on top of it doctors have to be to provide the best treatment to patients. Um, also, athletes are receiving, you know, a state-of-the-art uh, cutting-edge technology um, that, you know, normally like, the average person doesn't always receive um, mm. because the athlete is more inclined to get back to the field in an aggressive manner. So I think that's also something I never fully appreciated. Um, when I was writing the book, that now I have a better understanding of as a medical student. Udit, is that kind of, in a sense, a conflict for a physician to, obviously your role is to heal everybody, right? If, if I have, even though I might be a weekend warrior who just plays basketball and I have an injury, um, is it a conflict for you as a physician to, well, I'm able to help this professional athlete more than I'm able to help this weekend warrior? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think the whole goal as uh, a physician is to um, give that same treatment to everyone. I think that I think that's part of what's really interesting in terms of 
uh, the experience of I've had shadowing and things like that is no matter who walks in the door, you're sort of giving them the the best treatment you can possibly give them. I think that um, I think professional athletes or elite athletes are more likely to want the most aggressive uh, most aggressive treatment so they can get back to the field because you know them feeding their family is dependent on their athletic ability. But you know, for a weekend warrior, I think it's they're less likely to ha- take the most aggressive treatment because they still have a day job and they still have other responsibilities to take care of when they can't just dedicate, you know, eight months straight to rehab. So I think that there's no, the disconnect there is that the professional athlete is more likely to take that treatment, but I don't think there's any conflict from a provision standpoint because your goal is to be able to provide the same options to everyone regardless of their ability or who they are. So as the weekend warrior, if you prescribed uh, intense work on the treadmill, right, and the treadmill that I have, uh, for example, and I'll take the audience inside. When you go to football players, for example, their treadmill, some of them, there's a there's a contraption around the waist, right, Udit? Where it allows them right. to just stay in one place and they can just, you know, do the treadmill. Whereas a weekend warrior or a regular person doesn't have that type of, uh, doesn't have access to that type of apparatus on your regular treadmill. You see what I'm saying? So right. while for the physician, your job is to make sure that you rehab on the treadmill. But if I have that option as the weekend warrior to use that one that the professional uses, maybe I would use it. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, I definitely think that there's um, there's definitely a, a difference in resources that are you know available to you and me versus available to a professional athlete. So um, there's definitely like a difference there. Um, I, I do wonder if there would be a significant difference in outcomes based on you know, providing average athletes super elite um, elite tools like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that a lot of rehab also is um, just the effort that you put into it and sort of what you're getting out of that. So I think to the extent the tools do really make a difference, but um, I would say that a majority is still like the like your form on your exercises and how much mm-hmm. uh, how often you're doing the exercise and how much work you're putting in. So um, I I still do think that. It is a luxury that I would also love to have access to, but, um, you know, I think that's where we're at right now. Uli Dabe is my guest. He's the author of Hidden Heroes, The Role of Physicians in Sports. You're listening to New York Sports and Beyond here on 98.7 ESPN. I'm Larry Hardesty. Coming up, how do physicians relate to high school athletes as far as rehab options? You'll find out next. This is New York Sports and Beyond on 98.7 ESPN. You're listening to New York Sports and Beyond on 98.7 ESPN. I'm Larry Hardesty. Let's conclude my discussion with Udit Dave, author and medical student. Let's talk about, Udit, that topic of rehab. And that's the most, that is the most important thing to anybody. But let's talk with the professional athlete at this point because of the quickness they need to rehab to get back on the field of play. And so... As you're in med school, what are you, have you noticed there to be more options and different types of programs that you can use for professional athletes to get them back at a, at a certain time? And do you have to tailor it to the professional athlete? And we, we, let's, use, uh, let's use Kevin Durant, for example, with the Achilles, that he was out for a year. And everybody was like, well, you know, we're not really sure because previous athletes have had issues coming back from Achilles. But because of his body type and his, you know, obsessed rehab, I mean, Udi, when he came mm-hmm. back, he looked like he never left. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, that's the thing, especially with Kevin Durant. Um, I remember after after the book released, and almost immediately after that, he um, he tore his Achilles. So everyone was like joking about it, like, oh, you should have waited like a few months, and you could have had like a, se- a second chapter on him as well. Um, I think that yeah, I, I was personally really surprised by by his recovery as well. Like I remember telling my friends like. Um, like I was really upset when he hurt his Achilles. I was like, he's gonna come back and he'll be like a Dirk Nowitzki type player, but he's still like a like a very dynamic ball ball heavy uh, player. So I think that's really amazing that he's had that recovery. I think that you also see with him that he didn't really mind taking an entire season off and doing that. You know, whereas like in some sports, especially I think it's big in the NBA because um, for the most part, I feel like contracts are fully guaranteed. So. Mm. Why wouldn't you take that year off, get paid anyway, and you know come back the best version of yourself that you can? I think that's a big incentive. I think, especially in the NFL, we see um, a lot of players play through ACL tears, um, especially like offensive linemen. They'll get hurt and they'll just keep playing, and then they'll try to get a pre- procedure done over, you know, over the off season. I think that's a. I think money is also a big motivator in that. I think you see when players are able to take as much time off as they need. You know, whether it be for a mental health situation or for a physical injury, they always come back to their best selves. I think that's the biggest thing I've seen is um, there is like a mental component to it, and there's also um, there's also a physical component to it. So I think time honestly is necessary sometimes. I I think that physicians do tailor their recovery plans around the seasons. Um, I remember I was shadowing um, at this hospital, and this baseball, this high school level baseball player came in, and he needed a Tommy John surgery, so. Um, they wanted to get it done sooner rather than later so he could come back for the next season because he's going to be a senior and he hadn't signed any colleges yet. So that senior season that senior season was very important to him. Whereas, you know, that could be different for Kevin Durant who's already going to go down as a top, you know, a top 10 player all time no matter what he does now. So I think being able to have that time to recover and, you know, whether or not there's financial or other implications on the line, all that is a factor. And I feel like I appreciate that better as a medical student because I've seen that firsthand, you know, for the average athlete. Udit, let's talk about that because that's a fascinating topic to me because I believe there's more pressure on young high school athletes to have to, in some cases, get that Tommy John surgery, as you mentioned, because they're trying to get that scholarship. They're trying to get to the next level where – they can have the scholarship to attend college and, and some, you know, some will skip college and go to the minors, but a lot of parents are pushing mm-hmm. for them to get the education. So how does the physician, uh, as you look at med school, how does the physician look to treat young athletes? Because, you know, if you make that decision for Tommy John, you know, some, sometimes you may have to go back in some years later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think especially with, with high school level injuries or even young kids even younger than that are getting Tommy John surgery these days. Um, the main issue is just overuse. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of kids that play baseball will then turn around like run track or play basketball another season or the, you know, a lot of kids play four sports or four like they play a sport every season. So um a lot of overuse is I think a big issue because um if you're trying to get a scholarship for multiple sports then you're gonna be playing multiple sports constantly. And you know, it takes a toll. And if you have a surgery, you need to be able to take time away to recover from that. So um, the way I see it, there's three main factors. It's what the athlete wants, um, what their parents want, and then what the physician thinks is best. And I think that in each of these situations, I've sort of seen a trade-off between those three things. Um, and I think the, the physician's job is to sort of guide that decision based on their medical understanding but not push for one decision or another. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like there's also a relationship between parents and the physician where, Everyone has to be honest about 
the athlete's ability and what their what their legitimate goals are and if those goals are attainable or realistic because um, it is important to get an education, obviously. So if sports are an avenue to attain that education, then it's important to consider that as well. Udi, what are some of the, as you're in medical school now, what are some of the treatments and things going forward that could change the speed in which athletes can rehab, how quickly they return from certain injuries. What are you noticing as as to the future uh, of some things that we're looking at now that maybe, for example, Achilles maybe sees a, a year now or Tommy John maybe a year now, but going forward, mm-hmm. you might be back in six months with the uh, you know with the with the new technology that we're having medically. Yeah, so I think that there's a lot. There's a lot of things that make the rehab process easier, but to my understanding, I don't think that we're really going to see a big reduction in the time it takes to come back because um, this is one of my favorite quotes from the book um, from Dr. Andrew is that, you know, you can't change biology. You can't speed up biology. So there are things you can do to sort of mitigate um, how much damage there is or you can sort of prevent injury and you can do different things surgically to, you know, reduce the damage that you do while you're repairing an injury, but um, the body still needs how much, however much time it needs to heal. So I think um, that's an interesting thing, especially with Adrian Peterson, was he came back so quickly when everyone thought he'd be done or that he'd be out for a year. Um, and he sort of set this bar that now, you know, average athletes are trying to hit. And, um, you know, Adrian Peterson's a once-in-a-generation athlete, so that sort of thing is not really attainable for everyone. You know, it's not even attainable for other professional athletes for the most part. So I think that there are things that make rehab easier. For example, um, there's this new tool that um, you can attach it to an athlete and just have them run or have them just do other exercises like squat or lift weights, things like that. And it'll sort of show you a scan of their bones and their tendons on the screen. And then you can work with the athlete and show them how they're actually moving. um, And you can help make their movements more efficient. Um, so that's a huge thing, I think, especially moving forward with rehab, especially and even with the general training is if there's inefficiencies in the movement and you can help correct that, then, you know, you can maybe bring down the time it takes to recover because if I'm, if I'm lifting weights a certain way and I'm doing it slightly incorrectly and I fix that, then my outcomes are going to be better than they would have been if I was using my, like, my poor, um, my poor stance before. So I think those sort of things can help tweak and bring the time down a little bit, but I don't really think you're going to see the times being cut in half like they were with Adrian Peterson. I think that's more of like a, at the end of the day, biology is what wins and you know everyone's a different person. So I think it's kind of hard to predict like a major drop in times in recovery times. But I think that is, that's like the one thing I would say moving forward is we can maybe cut it down a little bit and make it more efficient. Well, that's fascinating. So we can also use those tools, I would think, as a physician working with the training staff uh, and coaching to help maybe alleviate injuries as well. Mm-hmm. For sure. I think the one interesting thing I've learned uh, as a medical student is uh, a lot of these surgeons will, will perform the surgery and then they only see the patient for quite a bit of time because um, the reliance is on the physical therapy staff and the training staff and then on the patient themselves to put the work in to make, the, make their outcomes uh, better. So, I think that's really an interesting thing I've seen that I think I've seen more of that through writing the book than through as being a medical student myself, because I really have just seen the actual procedures and not really the recovery. So I think that's the cool thing that the cool experience that I brought in as a medical student was 
I sort of have a better understanding of what their recovery process is like because I've talked to athletes about it. I've talked to physical therapists about it. But you don't really get that perspective as a medical student. So I think it's cool that I've been able to seek that out uh, before coming to medical school. How important is, as you mentioned, the relationship not only between the physician and athlete, but between the athlete and physician? Because we hear athletes more and more now, Udid, I want a second opinion. I want a third opinion from what the team doctor is saying. I want a second or third opinion because maybe they feel that the team doctor is going to side with the team as opposed to a third, a neutral party that's going to say, well, you know, I understand what that doctor's saying, but my opinion is that you should go this route. Right. I think um, I was sort of surprised by this, um, but just through having more clinical experience and shadowing, um, most doctors actually welcome when you want a second opinion because, mm. you know, no one's perfect. There's always a chance that you could be missing something or that you could be wrong. So usually when I see a patient tell a physician that they want a second opinion, the, the physician welcomes the idea and they're like, yeah, let me know what they say because, you know, two heads are always better than one. Um, and the more perspectives you have on something, the better it is, the easier it is to make a better decision. So I think in a professional context as well, I think most of the times, um, a lot of the time, actually, you don't see the team physicians performing a surgery on their like their team's athlete. It's not usually someone else doing it um, because it's a neutral party. So I think that that's um, very interesting. I think that it's also important to recognize the athlete's right to want multiple opinions because um, they're paying their bills and feeding their families with their sport. So um, if there's a major injury, obviously, you want you want to maximize your ability to come back and produce as best as you can. Udi Dabe is my guest. He's the author of Hidden Heroes, The Role of Physicians in Sports. He's now a second-year medical student, and he's chatting with us comparing what he's learned in med school now as opposed to supplement some of the research he did in writing his book a couple of years ago. You're listening to New York Sports and Beyond here on 98.7 ESPN. I'm Larry Hardesty. Udi, there's a, let's talk to the fans for a second because there is a frustration, and I think we're noticing it, uh, and you're a sports fan, so you understand what I'm saying. We're noticing in sabermetrics and how it helps. It's purveying all of sports. And there's this idea of, you know, resting professional athletes. And let's use baseball as an example. So you'll have a player and you may rest him uh, X amount of days because you want to you want him to last over the long haul of a season. And, you know, you want to protect him from injury. But sometimes they still get hurt. <laughs> And so as a fan, you're like, well, why did, what is going on here? He still got hurt. What is it? What is it? And let's talk a little bit about baseball and one of your favorite players, Giancarlo Stanton, who's having a, right now going through a, a hot streak, playing in the field, which he didn't play for a couple of years as a DH because of injury and the fear of him not being able to you know, be available in the postseason when the Yankees needed him. Uh, let's talk a little bit from a physician standpoint is there a physiology difference? Is there uh, where one type of athlete, uh, let's say a taller athlete like Stanton, may have more of a chance to be hurt and injured over a long period of time, maybe than, let's say, a Glaber Torres? Yeah, um, I think that, and we see that in basketball as well with load management. I think it, as a fan, it's like pretty frustrating sometimes, but um, I think that you know, even as like uh, just work, working out myself or playing ba- uh, basketball myself, um, 
you know, my friends back home and I always joke that uh, if we did a back-to-back-to-back with basketball games, like, we end up with at least two torn ACLs between the ten of us. <laughs> so <laughs> I think that, you know, if you play sports, you kind of understand that it can get, you know, physically exhausting. And as someone like John Carlos Sandin, who is, a, like, a bigger athlete that's had an injury uh, history in the past, um, you know, I think there's – if you're a fan, it's pretty frustrating. If you go to the, if you go to the ballpark and you don't get to see your favorite player hit a home run, but um, – I think that sometimes athletes will still get hurt, but I think the whole reason that they're doing this whole sort of sabermetrics load management thing is to mitigate that. So you want to improve your probability as much as you can, and if resting an athlete on a back-to-back or you know, resting an athlete for an away game series once in a while, I think um, if the data is telling you that that's going to reduce their chances, then obviously if you're if you're the team or if you're the athlete, you want to reduce your chances as much as you can. And you know, no one's sitting out like a huge, like, an ALCS game or something like that. It's just a regular season game. So I think that sort of incentivizes them to take a rest. Um, I think this also re-sparks the debate of how long should the regular season be because, Hmm. you know, playoff basketball is so different from regular season basketball. You know, you can just see it in the scores. Like, if the team's scoring 82 points and winning a game, you know, if that's a regular season, season, they'd probably get blown out by 30, right? So Hmm. I think it's a completely different sport in the playoffs versus regular season, especially in baseball. So... I think this also brings up the debate of how long should the regular season really be because you know, everyone's really just waiting for the playoffs. I think after a certain extent, you already know who the good teams are and who like the contenders are and who's going to be you know, getting a lottery pick. So <laughs> it sort of brings up, should we make the regular season shorter so then um, you know, we wouldn't have as much load management? Because if, if you're saying a player is fit enough to play 100 games in the season in baseball, then why not just make the season, you know, a little shorter so you don't have, so fans don't have to see the player miss games. So, you know, I think all of that is something to consider. Um, but I think that end of the day load management, uh, it does work, but it, it does frustrate me as a fan as well. So I think I have like, I see both sides to it. I know, Scott, that's why I asked you. It's got to be fascinating for you because as a med student, you understand the physiology of it and that, yeah, their bones need to be rested and need to be, you know, massaged and, and, and constantly worked uh, so that you can continue to play. And, and But they do need rest. They need rest and recovery. And then so you do need that day. It's just it just seems like, uh, Udit, it's right when players are hot that they get these days. Not not when they're struggling. They, they play every day when they're struggling, Udit. But when, but when they're hot, they seem to want to rest them. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind of confusing to me as well. I don't understand why it would change with that, but um, I think that some players, it's not about everyone's being load managed, you know, sometimes it's like just high profile players or players with injury risk or players that are, you know, especially in baseball, I feel like a l- large players especially have that sort of load management situation. Um, you know, you see in basketball as well, um, for a while, uh, Russell Westbrook didn't play back-to-backs, you know, Kawhi Leonard sits out a game sometimes here and there. You know, LeBron James was on load management when he went through his whole injury situation with the Lakers a couple of years ago. So I think that um, is more prominent when you see, like, the face of the league doing it. But um, I'm sure that there's, like, less known players are being load managed as well, that we just don't. They're not in the forefront because, you know, A, they don't get as many minutes anyway, and B, um, you know, no one's going out to see um, a bench player play. They're going out to see a superstar split. So I think that's why it's sort of at the forefront of our attention. I think physiologically it's very interesting because, um, especially professional athletes, they're physical history and their medical history is more public than it would be for, for mm. you or myself. Yeah. So I think that's yeah. pretty interesting to see, um, you know, 
Like, if it was me texting my friends, I'm not going to come to play basketball today. I'm tired. No one would bat an eye. But if LeBron's sitting out of back-to-back, it's like national news. So I think that's kind of <laughs> different. <laughs> it is. Udit, let's talk about LeBron now because he's coming off an injury uh, this uh, last <laughs> season. Uh, and obviously you, you had the feeling that there was going to be some issue because of COVID. The season was changed. And, you know, they, they ended last season, they ended the 2019-2020 the season late and then started the 2020-21 season early. So there wasn't a lot of yeah. turnaround and rest physically. But as you mentioned in your first book, his medical team has helped him to be one of the most durable athletes of all time. He comes back now, he's 37. Mm-hmm. Um, that medical team's going to have their work cut out for him? Or do they just, you know, from your research, do they just add a couple of things to make him – be LeBron James again? Um, I think it's I think it's somewhere in between that. I mean, LeBron's also just a once in a you know a once in a lifetime athlete. So I think it's I think his team is very lucky to have him as their patient. Um, but I think that in terms of in terms of his recovery, I think the big thing for him, based on how I've like spoken to to people that are around him, is that it's his sleep and it's his diet that are the main things mm-hmm. and his rest. So I think that with a short off season, I think those have to do more of that sort of thing um, during the regular season, and maybe he gets a little bit of a minutes restriction. But uh, you know, I don't really see him slowing down or falling off a cliff. You know, I think every year we see this with Tom Brady as well. Every every year, everyone's like waiting for him to fall off a cliff in terms of his production, but it just never happens because of how well his team takes care of him. So uh, yeah, I think that maybe they have to put in a little extra work, but. You know, we've all seen the stuff he's been posting on Instagram. I think he'll, I think he'll be all right this season. <laughs> I'm sure he will. Udit, uh, last thing, uh, are you going to add to your book now that you've been in med school a couple of years? Maybe when you finish med school, will you rewrite the book or will you add some chapters to it? What, what do you think you're going to do? I don't know. I get this question so many times. I, um, I really so when when I started writing this book, you know, initially like. It was really from a place, a place of pain, and I was just writing it. And honestly, mm. I thought, no, I was like, no one's going to read this. So, you know, as, as you've seen, like, every single chapter has a piece of me in it. And, mm. um, you know, I talk about my personal connection to these athletes or a moment that this athlete was a part of that was a, a big portion of my life. And, you know, I was pretty vulnerable on there because I thought no one's going to read this. And, you know, actually, the first week that it came out, uh, it became an Amazon number one new release. And I was like, oh, my God, like, what is going on here? Like, I literally thought no one was ever going to read this book. So, yeah, it's just a piece of news out there in the world, and a lot of people have seen it, so that's really cool. Um, you know, I feel like with, with my schedule as a medical student, it's really difficult to write. Um, but I, I really think I want to write another book at some point. I just I don't know if um, if it would be a sequel to this or something completely different. Um, there's been so many other advances, like you've said, in, in this field of recovery. So I think that might be cool to look at. But I think it also might be cool to pivot to some other um, some other aspects because I feel like this book focuses on the recovery. So maybe I can look at, you know, what goes into a professional athlete. Like, why do professional athletes make it, whereas other athletes don't? Mm. Um, also, I think local stories are really important because I feel like I've met a lot of people, especially in New Orleans, that... Um, could have had really huge professional careers, but they had something happen to them where they couldn't uh, recover. So I think those stories are equally important where there's, there's all these injuries where physicians aren't able to do everything to help the, help the athletes. So I have a lot of ideas sort of floating around, as you can see, but um, I think maybe after I finish medical school, I'll carve out some time to you know put that to paper and put it out. So we'll see, I guess. 
That sounds good. Well, listen, keep us advised as to what you do. I guess we'll talk to you in two years, Udid. <laughs> sounds good. Udid Dave, best of luck to you, my friend. We'll talk soon. Yeah, thank you for having me on again. That wraps up this edition of New York Sports and Beyond here on 98.7 ESPN. We thank you for listening. We'll join you this evening during the week on ESPN New York tonight with Gordon Damer and right back here next Sunday morning on New York Sports and Beyond. For my all-world producer, the legendary Ray Primetime Santiago, and the coach, Anthony Pusick, I'm Larry Hardesty. The conversation continues right now on 98.7 ESPN New York.